turn with me to Psalm 13. psalm which is to the chief musician a psalm of David how long O Lord will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me how long shall I take counsel in my soul having sorrow in my heart daily how long will my enemy be exalted over me Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I prevailed against him. Lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in your mercy. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt with bountifully with me. You may wonder if it's the same man who speaks the words in verse 1 as those in verses 5 and 6, but I assure you that it is. It's David. In our New Testament scriptures, towards the end of the book of Revelation, we read these wonderful words of the Lord God. Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And if you are a Christian, you may well be saying, even so come, Lord Jesus, so that that will become a reality. But it's not like that, is it, in this world in which we live? These are words in Revelation that apply to heaven. No pain, no sorrow, no death. God dwelling among his people. It is the prospect, it is the hope of every true Christian to attain to this glory in heaven. We live now, if we are Christians, in joyful anticipation. But life is not like that here and now. There are still tears, there's still death, there's still sorrow and crying. You may remember Solomon in Ecclesiastes said that there is a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. That is much more realistic, isn't it, in terms of what we experience here and now in this life. There are times when we are afflicted. We may not share the same degree of sorrow and affliction and distress that David felt. He was quite overwhelmed 
by a long succession of prolonged calamities. He does not go into all the details, but he was feeling at one point as if God had forsaken him. That's how low he got. How long, Lord, you've forsaken me. That's how it appears. Will you forget me forever? But notice, even in that desperate moment, he has not let go of God. Who is he praying to? He is praying to his God. Even though he feels as if he has been forgotten and forsaken. He is crying out to God. And that's what this psalm is. There are three things I want to open up before you. This psalm, very conveniently, drops into three sections. In verses 1 and 2, there is a heartfelt lament. And I'm using that word deliberately, as you will see. In verses 3 and 4, there is his earnest cry to God. And then in verses 5 and 6, his joyful trust in God. He moves from deep distress to joyful trust. Let's look and spend some time looking then, firstly, at his heartfelt lament. What does it mean to lament? To lament is, is something that is in the Bible. It means to grieve, to pour out your sorrows to God. It's not just grief, any kind of grief. When you lament, you lament before God and you tell God, you lay the burden of your concerns upon God. You'll notice here in verses 1 and 2, four times he asks, Lord, how long? This has been going on a long time, Lord. How much longer am I going to be in this situation? He cannot see at this point an end to his griefs and sorrows. There's no light, as we say, at the end of the tunnel, as far as he can see. And he feels, as I say, as if God has forgotten him. When was he like this? It may be during the days when he was persecuted by Saul. He was hunted like a wild bird on the hills. And you remember, he recalled, he, one time he said, I shall one day perish by the hand of Saul. It may be those days. We don't know. We're not given the circumstances. All we know that David was in trouble. Deep trouble. Deep distress. And he was lamenting this. His presence, God's presence, seems a distant memory. He doesn't feel as if he can enjoy God's favour and God's blessing. So he cries out these four times, How long, Lord? How long is this going to go on for? That is the cry of a desperate man, a man in distress. In verse 2 he says, How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long will my enemy be exalted over me? This is a daily struggle, an inner turmoil. He is grappling with these dark thoughts. But again, he's still addressing God in his darkest moments. Now, you may have experienced prolonged periods of deep distress, pain, anguish of heart. 
of such distress and pain as we see in the life of David is not a million miles removed from any one of us while we live in this world. That's just facing facts, isn't it? We can try and pretend sometimes things don't happen to us. But we know deep down we cannot escape these things in this life. There are 101 things that happen even to believers in this fallen world in which we live. And Christians, even Christians, at times may feel, God has forgotten me. It's a dark thought. It's a wrong thought. But it's understandable why you might think that. Because that's how it seems. You just cannot seem to get a grip upon God as if he has lost his grip upon you. How have your dark days, how have your thoughts shaped your Christian lives? Have you just said, well, that's the way it is? and ignored it and tried to get on? What is your story of pain and sorrow? How have you coped with it? How do you react and respond to death? Death in a family. Death among your friends. You shed tears. Tears of sorrow. You remember how Jacob was overwhelmed with sorrow the thought of losing his beloved son, Benjamin. He says, these sorrows will bring me down to death. That's how strong he felt that. It was a lament. You see, death comes as an uninvited guest. It's an intruder. It's an invader. It didn't belong in the world when God first made this world. It has come because of sin. Is the wages of sin. And as we face death, it is an evil. And it is right for us to feel anguish, even anger and indignation, because it does not belong in the world that God created. It's come because of sin. But there are a multitude, aren't there, of other sorrows that come upon us, even as believers. And I'm not even going to start to think about those who are believers in other parts of this world who suffer intense persecution and affliction. If I was preaching in another part of the world, I would dwell upon that perhaps. But in this country, yes, it's not always easy, but we don't know the half of what it means to be persecuted and to face death every day, as some believers do. But then there are other things that afflict us. Chronic health Conditions, disabilities, childlessness. Some of you may think back to a stillbirth. I don't know you, but that brought sorrow. Then there are financial problems, dashed prospects at work, the stress sometimes in marriage, broken trusts. A broken relationship. You may have been widowed or a widower. Our children sometimes cause us grief. 
because of their rebellion and their resistance to discipline and our love and our care. And that's painful. It's not what we anticipated. It's not what we prayed for. Then there are problems in the church. There are nearly always problems in the church, one way or another. Psalm 12, the psalm before this, is a, a communal lament. Isaiah 59 is another, verses 9 to 15, another communal. Together they are lamenting the state of affairs. And sometimes when things don't go smoothly in the church, the church laments. It's sorrowful to see division and distress. One of the things that distresses me as I look around the world, the church world, is that many pastors move on after four or five years. Why? Because of the stress. Because of the disagreements and the divisions. Few, dis few people are converted and then people get discontent and then the troubles begin to increase. And then there are problems that remain in our lives because of our sin, remaining sin. We never get free from it. We feel maybe we're going downhill, lukewarm, cold, dull. That may be the case today. You come here with a sense of delight to meet with God. You say, well, my soul is all disturbed. I'm not really at peace with myself. You may have doubted whether you are a Christian at all this week. Christians do have those doubts and those fears. You have to fight. It's a battle to deal with the sins that remain in our lives. How do we react to those things? How do all those things shape us? Have you learned what I would call the grace of lamenting before God? Do you turn first of all to God when troubles and difficulties come? Or do you pick up the phone and talk to your friend? Now that's not wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong at all. But is that your first port of call? Often is, isn't it, if you're honest? We don't turn to God immediately to give voice to our fears, to our troubles, to our sorrows. Psalm 13 is instructive for us in this way because it tells us how we are to tune our hearts to lament our troubles before God. Laments are rare in our hymn books. They are rare in some modern songs, contemporary songs. Yet if you work your way through the Psalms, nearly one third of the Psalms are laments. And of course then you have Jeremiah, the Lamentations. You could say much of Job is a story of lament, pouring out all his troubles to God while his friends falsely accuse him of being a hypocrite.
Are you familiar with what is called Stoicism? Heard that word? Okay, let me explain it to you. It's Stoic. Someone who is Stoic. Someone who has a stiff upper lip. Does that mean a bit more? A stiff upper lip. Someone who has very little feeling, impassive, seems unaffected by everything that happens that's going on around. They blot it out. As Christians, there is a danger that we fall into that kind of trap. Well, you say, it's the Lord's will. That's the end of the matter. It's the Lord's will. We can't do anything about it. We just have to accept it. We know that God works all things for good. Well, those are biblical sentiments. But if we just say, well, that's the way it is. I can't change things. God is sovereign. These are troubles and distresses he's brought upon me. I've just got to live with it, get on with it, shrug my shoulders, bite my lip, and hope all will end well in due course. A kind of reluctant resignation to the situation. Or, some of you may have been brought up in the tradition that says, you are to live a victorious Christian life. Every single day. You're not to let these troubles bother you. Live victoriously. It's a lie, isn't it? It's a lie. It's not real. David's real in this psalm, isn't he? He's speaking and pouring out his heart to God and telling him, this is what it's like, Lord. This is how I feel. That kind of stoicism, that stiff upper lip, is a wrong response. It is not lamenting. It is not pouring out your heart to God. If you stifle genuine grief and distress and suppress in the process your God-given humanity, then you are not going to prosper. Remember our Lord Jesus Christ when he stood by the tomb of Lazarus. What did he do? It's the shortest words, shortest text in the Bible. John 10, 35. Jesus wept. He wept. He did not suppress his grief and his sorrow. When Paul, in, Philippi, in Philippians chapter 2, spoke about Epaphroditus, his friend. Epaphroditus almost died. Was Paul just sort of saying, well, you know, nothing we can do about that. No, he says, I was spared sorrow upon sorrow. He felt this deeply. He was so relieved that Epaphroditus had not been consumed by death and he had been spared sorrow. He would have been extremely upset and distressed if his dear friend Epaphroditus had died. But you see, if you stifle genuine grief and distress, what happens you open the door to frustration, to anger, to bitterness, to resentment, and then to complain about and against God. 
Think about that. If you just suffer in silence and shrug your shoulders and say, there's nothing I can do about it. You don't shed any tears, you don't show any emotion, don't show any feeling. That will destroy you. It will eat you inwardly and destroy you. Here is a man of God. Here is David facing reality. He has enemies. He has sorrows. He has troubles. He has afflictions. He feels as if he's been deserted by God. And yet he is pouring out his heart to God. That's a lament. To lament is a grace that God gives to his people in order to express their sorrows and their distresses. You see, God and our, our Saviour, Jesus Christ, they're not unfeeling. They don't expect us to live in this world and to just bite our tongue and to, to turn our sorrows inward on ourselves. The Psalms teach us, the Scriptures teach us how to pour out our hearts to God. Lament is how Christians are to grieve. That's what this psalm teaches us above all else. But you see, there is a heartfelt honesty before God. This man is real and he's facing real troubles and he's not pretending they are not there. And he's not ignoring them. He's not trying to bury them. He's not trying to eradicate them. He submitted himself to God and he has cried out, Lord, how long? When did you last voice your griefs and sorrows to God? Have you learned to bring your sorrows and troubles to God? Have you learned to tell him how you feel? Have you wept before him? Grief and sorrow. David did that. And if David did it, he was a man after God's own heart. If David did that, then you can do the same thing. That's why it's in our Bibles. To learn to grieve. That is the first step. When you are facing troubles and distress, however severe it may be, or however relatively smaller it may be that is the first step to trusting in God is to pour out your griefs and sorrows to lament before God if you learn nothing else from this song this evening learn that one lesson but there are other things to learn because there is progress in this song you learn, first of all, then to grieve, to lament. But secondly, we see in verses 3 and 4, his earnest cry to God. Let me read the words again for you. Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Enlighten my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed against him. 
lest those who trouble me rejoice when I am moved. No longer is it how long. That is his lament. But he is now moving on and he is turning to God. And this is the turning point in this psalm. It's the hinge on which the whole psalm hangs. It's a cry to God for help. He lays hold of God to burden him with what burdens his own soul. See how he addresses God. O oh Lord, my God. You see, there's a measure of confidence there. A measure of trust. He knows his troubles, but he also knows his God. And is crying out to him earnestly. Despite his feelings of abandonment, this persuasion that his God is my God has not been extinguished from his heart. That fire is still burning in his bosom. This is the law, the faithful promise-making, promise-keeping, covenant-making God. It is a deliberate, earnest plea it's very specific. He doesn't just say, Lord, solve my problem. Bless me. No, he says, consider and hear me. That's the cry of a desperate man. But it's a man who's trusting in God. Look on me, Lord. Look on me and consider my state and my condition. Look and give ear. He repeats himself in a sense, doesn't he? Look, Lord, see what I'm going through and give, give ear to my cry. He's bold. He's grasped the nettle, as we say. He's intent on God hearing him. He's not just coming in the hopes that God will hear him. He's coming determined to gain the ear of God. So he's considered and hear, consider and hear me. This is a life and death issue for him. What would you do if you had no God to call upon like David? What would you be like? That would be desperate indeed, wouldn't it? If there was no God there to call upon. You know, many years ago, Michael Francis Schaeffer wrote a book called, Is God There? Is he there? Is there anybody there? Because from a multitude of people in this day and age, there is no God. There is no one there. There is no one to help you. You have to make the best of things you can and depend upon friends and doctors and hospitals and all manner of manner and means of things. If you're not a Christian here this evening, where do you turn when you are in trouble? You face trouble, don't you? Of course you do. But where do you turn? You cannot really turn to this God because you cannot say, Oh Lord, my God. Because you only know this God when you come to trust in Jesus Christ, his Son. It's the Son who makes the Father known to us. It's the Son who brings us to the Father. It's the Son who 
opens the way for us to pray and to cry with confidence. You see, this God is not on your side while you remain in your sin. Why should he come and help you if you remain rebellious against him? If you remain in your sin, unforgiven, unrepentant? Having said that, I know of more than one person, there may be some here who will identify with this immediately, who have cried out in their deep distress, Lord, if you are there, then come to my aid. They've almost cried out in their unbelief. They're not crying out, oh Lord, my God. Lord, if you're there, if there's any mercy, any kindness in you, then hear me, help me. Others never turn to God at all. Don't even pray that kind of prayer. They think God has been harsh, very harsh. They think that all the troubles in this world are due to God's failure. You remember Hannah? In 1 Samuel chapter 1 and 2, Hannah was pouring out her grief and her sorrow and her trouble. Eli was there watching her. She was in bitterness of soul, the scripture says. She wept in anguish. Eli said, you're drunk. No understanding. Only her lips moved. There was no voice. But Hannah was doing exactly what David is doing here in this psalm. She's crying out to God in her distress. She has Penina who's persecuted her. And she has a husband who doesn't seem to understand her grief and her sorrow. And now she's got a high priest who totally misunderstands her. And she still pours out her heart to God. You could have told by the look on her face, you could tell where Hannah was at that moment in time. Eli totally misread her. David talks about, enlighten my eyes, make my eyes shine and sparkle so that my enemy no longer will be able to gloat over me and triumph over me. In his malice, my enemy has taken my sorrows and rubbed his hands with glee and said, give it to him. Let him suffer. So he makes his earnest plea to God. To the Lord his God. <clears throat> now, if you spend any time with me today, you will soon find out that I'm very hard of hearing very hard of hearing. I have a very poor hearing indeed, which is why I wear all these this fancy stuff, which helps me and enables me to hear. But God is not hard of hearing. He hears the faintest cry of those who cast themselves upon him. God bends his ear to a believer's lips, however weak and faint the cry is. And he certainly heard the prayers of his servant, David. 
This was his earnest cry. God heard him. Therefore it is no surprise as we move on in this psalm. Thirdly, we see in verses 5 and 6, his joyful trust in God. He's not given way to bitterness. He's not given way to anger, to resentment, to a stoical silence. This would never be the outcome had he had done so. Rather, he is now, having lamented, having poured out his heart to God, he concludes with a joyful trust in God. His hope was in God all along, but the joy was not his at that point in time. The trust was there, but now it is a renewed trust. I have trusted in your mercy. Therefore, my heart shall rejoice in your salvation. You do deliver. You've heard my prayer. You've heard my cry. I will sing to the Lord because he's dealt bountifully with me. He's not left me where I was. He's not left me prey to my enemies. He's not left me in my sorrows and fears and anguish. I've trusted. I've confided in him. I've cast myself upon him. Changes of circumstances. You're not in control of them, are you? David wasn't. You can't say, oh, if things happen to me, these events change, circumstances change, they're not going to have any effect on me. However gloomy the day may be, however strange your trials may be, however long they may last, whatever the situation, there is always light at the end of the tunnel. In fact, there is light in the tunnel because this man is trusting in his God and he will not let God go. And the most important thing is that God will not let him go. He's poured out his heart and he's lamented his situation. But his hope is in God. Verse 5 is emphatic. I for my part. That's how we could translate it. I for my part have trusted in your mercy. That is your steadfast love, your covenant faithfulness, your mercy, your kindness. I trusted in you. He's waited upon God. Those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall rise up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. That's how Isaiah chapter 40 ends. It's those who wait upon the Lord, who trust in him. Because it is God alone who can turn darkness to light. It's God alone who can make the crooked straight. It's God alone who can renew your strength. You know, you can never rely upon God too much. You may think in your worst moments, 
I don't think God is going to help me. And an even worse moment, we think, I don't think God is able to help me. That's rank unbelief, isn't it? It's rank unbelief. You can never rely too much upon God. You can never expect too much of his mercy and his kindness. He is merciful. He is powerful. He is the Lord your God. Trust then in him. Do you remember our Lord Jesus Christ hanging there on the cross? He cried out. It was a lament. Psalm 22, in fact. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It was a desperate cry. Surrounded by the bulls of Bashan, the barking dogs, looked upon with contempt and scorn and disgust. He cried out. But then he also cried out later, it is finished. And then his last words, into your hands I commit my spirit. From lament to a trust in God. Our Lord Jesus Christ has gone through similar experiences. And that's a great comfort. Because he's not forgotten those experiences. And he's able to succor and strengthen you and me when we go through similar experiences. God deals bountifully with his servants. That's what David testifies here. God is not mean, he's not stringy. He's not short on mercy and grace and kindness and love and power. He deals bountifully with me. There's an overflowing fullness, an abundance that's my God. That's the kind of thing that he does. I'm in his complete care. Verse 6. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. It's put in fact in the past tense. Why? Because he's absolutely certain. It's as if it's taken place already. It's not something just future. This is something now. It's real now. It's a way of saying it's done, it's true, it's absolutely certain. I find Psalm 13 a tremendous encouragement. I'm thankful that it's there in the book of Psalms. John Calvin used to describe the book of Psalms as the anatomy of the soul. It's a way of saying every state, every condition is covered by one psalm or another. And believers over centuries have turned to the Psalms to find comfort and help and strength in days of dire distress. And you're no exception. This book has been written for you so that you might draw inspiration and encouragement and help and comfort. There's no place for dismay and despair so that you give up on God. David was in a desperate hole. But he had not given up on God. How can I say that? Because he refused to let go of God. 
He was pouring out his heart. It began with a heartfelt lament, but it ends in a joyful trust in God. David is sure of his faith. His faith makes him sure. But you see why? Because he is sure of God. He is sure of God. He knew that God would never abandon him totally and completely. And he was prepared to wait upon the Lord. Sometimes it is hard. The Lord tests us. But he tests us in order to prove his kindness and power and mercy to us. You may not be able to join with verse David in verses 5 and 6 at this moment. But if you begin where David begins and pour out your lament before God and cry out to him that I guarantee not because it's me who's guaranteed, it's God in his word, I guarantee your life will end and at some point you will enter into a joyful trust in God. And you will be able to say, he has dealt bountifully with me. Isn't God wonderful? That he will do those things. He never leaves you, never abandons you, Never forsakes you. But you prove him. Pour out your lament. Pour out your griefs and sorrows. And cast yourself afresh upon him. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the comfort and encouragement of the scriptures. We thank you for the comfort that you bring to those who cry out unto you. You're the God of all comfort, the Father of mercies, the God of all comfort. You deliver your people who wait upon you, who call upon you. Lord, we're never abandoned, we're never forgotten, despite all the sorrows that we go through in this life. Lord, give us strength, give us confidence, give us grace to lament and grace to pray and to call upon you, for we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ, our great high priest who endured sufferings that we will never fully understand and yet was vindicated and rose from the dead triumphant over sin, over Satan, over death itself. So hear us, we pray in his name. Amen. Amen. Amen.